Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. So getting started, California Democrats scramble to fight Newsom recall, closing ranks. California Democrats are suddenly waking up to a nightmarish reality that in their solidly blue state, a small but determined band of GOP activists may soon set off a recall that puts Governor Gavin Newsom's future in doubt. Alarmed party leaders facing the threat of a chaotic and expensive election by the end of this year have begun to issue all-hands-on-deck calls, but it may already be too late to convince the disorderly Democratic ranks to put aside their political differences and, in some cases, ambitions, and stand in unity with their embattled governor. Every credible leader should be speaking out loudly and forcibly or excuse me, and forcefully now, said State Senator Steve Glazer, a former senior advisor to Governor Jerry Brown. The message must be about why even unhappy Californians should not sign these poisonous petitions, he said in an interview. Our collective action should be all about reducing signatures that would create this political chaos. So what's why are they trying to suppress voters? I thought that's something only Republicans do, right? Republicans wish to suppress the vote, or so I'm told. Yet you have a senior advisor, you have a state senator saying, we need to suppress this recall vote. That is disgusting. It's either, like I said, like I've like I always preach, we need to have one. Standard having multiple standards only leads to division because guess what? You're just going to further polarize the country. And that is bananas that you have a state senator, Steve Glazer, who's basically coming out and just saying it out loud, saying, We need to suppress this vote, we need to demoralize people, and that is disgusting. But time is running out, he conceded. It's really only about the next 30 days when the recall campaign must show evidence they've collected 1.5 million valid signatures. Oh, now they have to be validated. The signatures need to be validated. They can't just what? you. I guess now you have to show IDs and they're going to do signature verifications. That's it's just such BS coming from the Democrats right now that my head is going to explode. Newsom spent months focusing on reigning in the coronavirus pandemic and working with local officials to open and reclose businesses and places of worship. He also pushed hard, yet mostly unsuccessfully, to reopen schools. While Newsom and the Democratic Party tried to keep the messaging on coronavirus, his opponents ramped up the effort to recall him, approaching the required number of valid signatures in a state with a low bar for instigating a gubernatorial recall. Lieutenant Lieutenant Governor Eleni Konalakis, I can't pronounce that, is now asking Democrats to stand against the recall. California voters elect their lieutenant governor separately from the top office, so she's not in jeopardy should Newsom be ousted. But I still can't pronounce that name, sees it as a cynical GOP attempt to sidestep a regular election cycle. Republicans see this quirky opportunities to slip a Republican governor into the bluest state in the union, she said in an interview, and I think they are uh, daydreaming. But Matt Shupa, GOP strategist, said that the Democrats and Newsom are clearly flailing as they attempt to counter this successful drive. California, in all types of ways, is in really dire situation right now, Shoup said. The recall, he added, is a way to fix the state with someone to vote for, not just vote against. 
Newsom last week teased an agreement with teachers and their unions to reopen schools, but on Tuesday said no agreement is ready. The inability to reopen schools may become another political liability for the governor as he works to preserve his job. And basically, they go on to talk about how there hasn't been a Republican in California as a governor since Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it's it's bananas that now that basically Democrats heads are on the chopping block for their incompetence in dealing with the coronavirus that now they want to do signature verifications. They'll probably want to do ID matching. They're they're. Uh, practicing all these voter suppression tactics, right? I'm told this is voter suppression. And they're going to say, well, we want election integrity. Basically what the Republicans have been saying. Hey, I have four different types of federal or state ID in my wallet that I could use to go vote. Yet uh, I'm told that as a person of color that I am too uneducated to use the internet to figure out where I need to go vote, to figure out how to get an ID, to figure out how to be an adult. So these white liberals who tell me that I am too stupid to figure it out, well, apparently they're too stupid to understand that the majority of people do have some sort of ID and it is not uh, suppression to ask for an ID. Is it smoking suppression to ask for ID? Is it drinking suppression to ask for an ID? Is it gun suppression to ask for an ID? Probably not. So again, it's bananas. The type of mental gymnastics that Democrats and their leaders often go through to basically try to call Republicans a bunch of racist bigots. So let's jump over to the next story from Politico. President Joe Biden's presidency hinges in large part on his success in handling the pandemic, but nearly a month into power, he's beginning to discover just how much of that task is out of his control. Well, I was told for a year that every little thing that happened because or excuse me, that every little thing that happened while Trump was president was Trump's fault. I'm sure you're old enough to remember that, too, if you're listening to me. You know, 400,000 deaths were all Trump's fault. Never mind the fact that Andrew Cuomo was hiding the amount of deaths in nursing homes so the Department of Justice wouldn't basically bust his balls. He broke the law. He is now under investigation because of what he did. Yet somehow that's all Trump's fault. Or how California is doing very, very bad, even though they have been locked down essentially nonstop for nearly a year. In San Francisco, you have more deaths due to overdose than you had from coronavirus. And guess what? That was still Trump's fault. No, 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 no. It should be Gavin Newsom's fault. It should be Andrew Cuomo's fault. Because guess what? We do have a federalist system of government. The president basically says, this is my vision. And then the states will implement that vision, right? And he says, and basically he ties uh, federal funding to his vision. So it's kind of bananas. So before I get to the actual story, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, because I've already started making changes to the website, it's going to take a few days. I spent about five hours last night working on this. Um, basically, I'm starting up a news aggregator. I'm also starting up a fact checker. And 
you know, it would really help us out if you were to donate because it is a one man operation and I don't have any sponsors or anything like that because I wish to stay independent from outside influence. You can go to notsensoredyet.com slash donate. You'll find links available to help contribute to the show. So let's go to Politico. Tensions start to emerge in Biden's dance with governors. President Joe Biden's presidency hinges in large part on his success in handling the pandemic, but nearly a month into power, he's beginning to discover just how much of that task is out of his control. The White House is locked in a delicate dance with governors over reopening schools, distributing COVID shots and enforcing mask mandates, with Biden's team wary of alienating key state leaders, even as it takes stock of the lurching response to the crisis. Governors, in turn, are starting to push back on the first federal efforts to pressure them. The administration has poured energy into courting both Democrats and Republicans, pitching itself as an equal partner and eager collaborator. It's a sharp contrast from the Trump era when must excuse me, when most decisions were thrown to the states. And it's a decent bet that facing a fatigued public and teetering economy, even the most skeptical governors need Biden just as much as he needs them. This whole time, governors felt have felt like they're the ones under the gun, said one advisor to several governors. They understand the way this has been set up. People are inclined to blame them if things don't go well. Well, again, we have a federalist system of government. We don't have a monarch. We don't have a king. We don't have a dictator. We don't have a fascistic leader. Oh, well, I guess we do now, considering that we have thousands of National Guard troops surrounding Washington, D.C., because a democratically elected president doesn't need 5,000 National Guard troops to surround him if it was a legitimate um If everything seemed on the up and up, you wouldn't feel the need to have several thousand National Guard troops around you because if you have so many questions, you're not going to say just shut up. And if you don't shut up, we're, we have National Guard troops here who are going to shoot you with a machine gun. And Nancy Pelosi had her way. Um, so, again, what sounds more legitimate? A oh, I'm not even going to get into that because I'm pretty sure I'll get in trouble here on YouTube. Yet the federal government's charm offensive threatens to bog down Biden's early efforts to rein in the virus and claim political credit for restoring a sense of normalcy. So, again, why would he claim political credit? He lied when he said there was no vaccine. I'm old enough to remember when Joe Biden received the vaccine before he even became the president. So for him to say, well, there was no vaccine when when I uh, when I was the president, there was no vaccine. It's like. Stupid, stupid man. You received the vaccine. Don't tell me you didn't have it. Don't tell me it wasn't available because you received it. It's bananas. And nobody's fact-checking. They just say, oh, because of his stutter and he has gaffes. And it's like, oh, so you're saying he's old and he can't remember where he's at. He can't remember receiving a vaccine. And yet this man is supposed to be the president of the United States. Are you kidding me? Man, some people. The White House has resisted ordering states to let teachers jump the vaccine line, even as it struggles to convince educators to return to school. Biden officials have also held off on criticizing certain governors for easing mask mandates and restrictions on indoor gatherings, despite fears that emerging more contagious COVID-19 variants could fuel a new surge. So it's working well for Florida. So maybe... Joe Biden should use Florida as an example for the rest of the country. Florida is in the middle of the pact and 
excuse me, middle of the pack, and they have one of the least restrictive uh, COVID measures in the country. So I don't understand what the issue is. If you're severely locked down, like in California, yet you are doing worse, or excuse me, you're because California is not exactly apples to apples with Florida because they have a lot more people, or we'll say New York or New Jersey. New Jersey is a lot smaller than Florida, but they have way more deaths than Florida. So we need to basically do apples to apples. So let's do New York versus Florida. They, their populations are similar in size. And if basically if New York is locked down shut and they're doing horribly and Florida is not locked down and they're doing okay, they're doing better than average, then maybe New York should try it Florida's way and see how that works out. Because uh, obviously what New York is, excuse me, Whatever New York is doing, they're not doing it well. So perhaps they should change up their game plan. It would be like you're playing a football game and you're running a, a power option play. And every time you run the power option, you get sacked and you just don't change it up. And it's like, hey, you need to change it up if it's not working. If every time you try to do a particular thing, it gets shut down, yet you keep double down keep doubling down on that it's you're just basically practicing an act of insanity you're just doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result our strong partnership with states over the last several weeks is helping us vaccinate more people a white house spokesperson said adding that the administration is in con uh, constant contact with governors Still, the White House has taken longer than expected to line up its public messaging, leaving it on the defensive as Republicans step up their attacks over the failure to reopen schools and frustrating some allies who warn that Biden will soon need to take a stronger stand. So it's always Republicans attack, Republicans pounce, Republicans seize the opportunity. No, if a Democrat screws up and a Republican calls them out on it, it's not seizing on the opportunity. It's saying, you said you had a plan. You said if we elected you, you would crush the virus. You wouldn't crush the economy. You wouldn't crush jobs. You wouldn't crush Americans. You would crush the virus. Yet all you're doing is crushing the economy, crushing jobs, crushing families. You're crushing women in the workforce. You're crushing everybody else, anything else other than the virus. Yet you've had... A year, basically sharpshooting Trump from the tower, basically taking pot shots at him and saying, hey, you messed up on this. Hey, you messed up on that. Hey, you're not going to figure this out. And then as soon as Biden becomes the president and Republicans start doing the same thing, basically saying you had all this time where you weren't responsible for anything and you claimed that you had the magic recipe for success and you're somehow doing a worse job than Trump. And yet that's seizing uh, seizing the moment, that's um, stepping up the attack over failures? No, that's called, we're calling you out. I'm not even a Republican, but we're calling you out for lying. And that's BS. One senior Democratic official close to the discussions between the White House and the states and administration was taken aback by the initial pushback on reopening from some districts. But that should serve as a wake up call, the official said, that Biden will need to be more forceful, even at the risk of wrangling some governors. There are policy choices that you have to make here. And if one is we want schools open, then go and vaccinate teachers. There's no winning on these things. You have to make a decision and then you have to move forward. So 
it's hit or miss on that one, right? Biden can't force anybody to do anything as the president of the United States. Now, if he wants to basically say, well, you won't receive federal funding for that, basically through an executive action, that's something he can do. But he can't just say, hey, you're going to open whether you like it or not, because that would make him a dictator. That would make him a monarch. And as Joe Biden eloquently put it before he was elected, uh, dictators only governed by executive order. But unfortunately, that's all Joe Biden has done. There has been no legislation pushed through um, the Congress. And that's kind of disgusting where Joe Biden needs to sign um, over 50 executive actions at this point, I believe. And zero legislation has even crossed onto the into Congress because they're too busy worrying about attacking the orange man. First, they had to impeach him. Now they're trying to make it so he can't run for office because he was impeached two times. They are violating the Constitution. They're violating the 14th Amendment. They are violating the norms of this country. And yet people are cheering it on because somehow Donald Trump ruffled people's feathers. He made people feel the sads. And and I guess Americans, we shouldn't feel sad, friends. And so the only way to not feel sad is to not allow Donald Trump to run for president again. Um, you know, norms be damned. Uh, Constitution be damned. Because I'm pretty sure the 14th Amendment in there, it says that unless you're a criminal or you've been prosecuted for basically impeached and all these things, there's a, a list of things that you cannot have done in order to run for public office. And since Donald Trump has been exonerated from all of those things, then therefore he should be allowed to run for office again. But the House Democrats are trying to change that because they don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about you because guess what? At a certain point, if they think they can get away with that, eventually they're going to push it and say, well, no libertarian can run for office. No progressive can run for office. No conservative can run for office because they don't care. And that's going to be the slippery slope. So that's going to be it for now. Friends, I'll be posting up another video here in a couple hours. Until then, I'll see you all later. Have a good one. Bye. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Disgusting hot mic moment ends with San Francisco Bay Area School Board president sprinting for the exit. Parents who have had it with their teachers dragging their feet, going back, getting back to work will surely be infuriated over this call. Board members of a school district in Oakley, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area, were caught mocking parents during a video call and could only respond with, uh-oh, when they realized all of their remarks were being broadcast live. I've said it for a while now, and I I think a lot of other people have done so as well. Teachers are lazy. They are they worried about COVID, even if it's safe to reopen. The science is clear. Reopen the damn schools. Kids don't get it and they don't spread it. And now even with teachers being vaccinated, they still don't want to work. And that's important to note. If teachers aren't receiving or aren't catching COVID from kids and they're vaccinated, what's the risk? Why don't they want to go to school? I'll tell you why. Because they figured out they don't even have to go to school and they're getting paid. They haven't missed a paycheck. All these government workers, all these what are public sector uh, employees, they've received paychecks throughout this when a lot of people have stopped receiving paychecks. I still have to pay my property taxes. I still have to pay sales tax. I still have to pay all these taxes. And yet the income generated through my private business has gone down because people have less money to spend. Yet teachers receive all the money 
that they should have been receiving. Politicians receive all the money that they should have received. So what? where's the disconnect? What's the incentive to go back to work? Because they're receiving all the money they would receive even if they're going to work. So why would they want to go back to work? It doesn't make any sense. And it's actually quite racist what they're doing, and I'll explain why in a minute. In the video, board member Kim Bean uses expletives in talking about parents. The board also talks about making parents call in and record their public comments rather than making them appear live in a meeting, and the recording would cut them off at exactly three minutes. All right, so let's see what happens when they find out that they're basically publicly broadcasting. Uh-oh. Whoa. Just FYI, you guys have the meeting. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Uh-uh. That's what Lori just said. Great. Oh, they canceled that. They basically disconnected that real quick as soon as they figured out they were being public on that. Before she realized the public was listening in, school board president Lisa Brezidine criticized parents who continue to be frustrated by the district's COVID-related school closures. They want to pick on us because they want their babysitters back. No. I want teachers to do their job. So Kamala Harris, again, I I really dislike this intersectional politics that's going on, but they're bringing up a good point. There's a lot of women being basically obligated to drop out of the workforce because they have to take care of their children at home. And I'll discuss how this negatively affects people of color here in a second. And they don't know what we do behind the scenes. And it's really unfortunate that they want to pick on us because they want their babysitters back. Right. Right. That's an interesting phone. It's very wide. It's very girthy. Um, three, school board trustee Richie Masadas then appeared to link students' frustration over closed closures to drug use. My brother had a delivery service for medical marijuana. The high clientele were parents with their kids in school. <laughs> just laughing because parents only want to send their kids to school so they can stay at home and get high it's not that they want to go to work right that's a disgusting statement to make so okay so i'm going to say how these school closures are disproportionately affecting people of color so the last time i checked i don't have the latest numbers so i'm going to give like a ballpark number um the last time i looked it was definitely over 50 percent of black children who are raised in a single parent home what do you think happens when the kids can't go to school what's going to happen to the parent and if the parent can't afford a babysitter is the parent going to be forced to either keep the kid home by themselves in which they're not supposed to do right if the kid's under a certain age you're not allowed to keep the kid home alone Or are they supposed to take out debt to get a babysitter or are they supposed to quit work so they can take care of the kids, but then they can't afford food or their home or their water or shelter or heat or what you name it, right? They can't provide um, anything for their their child because they can't work. And it's because these teachers are refusing to go to school. And it's so racist because it's disproportionately affecting people of color. That's one thing. Two, there was a lady in Ohio who's basically in jail because she works at Little Caesars. Her kids can't go to school. And guess what? She had her 10-year-old daughter watch her 2-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid and a 2-year-old kid um, stay in a hotel room. She had somebody come by every hour to check on the kids. And she went to work. She didn't go party. She wasn't doing anything. She She was working. And she still got arrested. 
And that's what happens when you have these uh, selfish teachers who basically are laughing at the struggles of the minority community. And it is the teacher's fault. And guess what? They're disproportionately negatively affecting uh, people of color, and they should be ashamed. They should be ashamed of themselves. The fallout was immediate. This isn't about education. It's about power as always. This is what they say when they think that the cameras are off. I'll say it again. They're lazy. They don't want to work. You don't get into education for a payday. Sorry, that's not how these careers pan out unless you're shamelessly corrupt. And there's a lot of that too on these schools. It caused the school board president to resign. Good. He should be sprinting for the exit after this call. Who the hell do these people think they are? The president of the Oakley Union's elementary school district board of trustees has resigned after being caught on video, making disparaging comments about parents during a live public meeting Wednesday night. Superintendent Greg Hetrick was described, excuse me, was describing a proposal to limit public meeting comments to three minutes. It's easy to hide behind a screen. Apparently unaware that the uh, public video feed was still live, trustee Kim Bede said, are we alone? If you're going to call me out, I'm going to F you up. Hetrick issued a statement Thursday saying last night at Oakley Union Elementary uh, School District regular board meeting, there were unfortunate and truly inappropriate comments made that were heard by many. These comments are not tickable. Typical, and more importantly, they are not what the community should expect from our school district. They were typical. Sorry. They were extremely flippant. They were all laughing about it. It's probably a conversation that they've had hundreds of times. They were just caught with their pants down. So guess what? You got you to gotta own up to it. That's what it is. And I believe this person actually – so the, this was written by – the gentleman's name is Matt Vespa. And he actually says about actually what I just said. Oh, shut up. You got caught. Eat it. Deal with it. Now screw off. Which I feel is actually uh, quite um, quite accurate, to be honest. Everyone on that school board should frankly go to hell. Vacation is over. Remote learning doesn't work. You have to get back into the classroom. If you can't do that, find another job. Sit down, shut up, and listen to the science, which is telling all of you that keep that keeping schools closed is unnecessary. Any argument to the contrary is grounded in idiocy and political nonsense. And I 100% agree. Because guess what? If the science says it's safe for teachers to go back to school and teachers are still saying, oh, well, you know, we don't want to go back to school, uh, but we also have to trust the science. Well, the science says you should be back in school. You not wanting to go to school means you don't trust the science. And that means you are anti-democratic, apparently, that you are a neo-fascistic white supremacist because you can't trust the science and you're just a Bible clutcher. Or so says Democrats, right? So before I jump over to the next story, uh, once you go to notcensoredyet.com, I'm making updates to it right now. If you go to notcensoredyet.com slash fact checker, one of the first things you'll find, or basically the only thing you'll find is uh, the five, or excuse me, Not Censored Yet's guide to fact checking. And there's a five-step process. This is still a work in progress. It's going to be polished and fine-tuned into a fine gemstone. But as of right now, it is an ugly piece of coal. Not Censored Yet's five steps for accurate five fact-checking. Step one, context is everything. Step two, determine if the claim is a fact, because basically I can't fact-check an opinion. Step three, research what other fact-checkers have said. We may not necessarily be the first to the party, so it's best to research or to be, uh, so it's best to research um, what organizations have already fact-checked it to see if, if they did a good job, if they done a good job, either agree or, or disagree with them. Step four, we'll do our homework. Sometimes Google isn't good enough and they track your every search. So we'll deep dive into various sources if necessary in order to provide the most accurate information. And this one's the most important. Step five, 
there's only one standard. The hypocrisy currently on display by the mainstream media is one of the main reasons why so many people are on edge. We've had fact checkers, politicians, including President Biden and news organizations, spend weeks spreading misinformation about how Officer Sicknick sadly passed away, leveraging his death for political points. Unfortunately, a simple fact check would prove their claims wrong, but the mainstream media refused to be honest, leading to half the country believing an officer was beaten to death during the January 6th insurrection when he actually died the next day from a stroke. And that's important to keep in mind, friends, uh, because I believe on the 8th, there was a local news organization in Houston, Texas, that basically said Sicknick died from a stroke. The next day, he was never actually beaten. Yet, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, CNN, NBC, they all pushed that Sicknick was beaten to death. But it's quite strange, especially since CNN and NBC, they should have known firsthand because they directly funded a domestic terrorist who was involved in those riots. They should have received all the video footage, which probably would have shown Sicknick not being beaten to death. And if he was beaten to death, it was probably because that person that was there who was uh, egging on the violence because he's being charged with that right now by Biden's federal prosecutors. So from just the news, and actually, before I get to this, smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and go to notsensoredyet.com. Look around. There's also donate links available. Every little bit helps as we are new and trying to grow. Nearly 180 Democrats support forming 12 million 13-Member Slavery Reparations Commission. The Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act was reintroduced in the new session of Congress and now has 162 Democratic co-sponsors in the House and 17 Democratic co-sponsors in the Senate. The Senate version was introduced by New Jersey Democrat Senator Cory Booker. The bill was first introduced by former Michigan Democratic Representative John Conyers in 1989. The legislation seeks to address the fundamental injustice, cruelty, brutality, and inhumanity of slavery in the United States and the 13 American colonies between 1619 and 1865 and to establish a commission to study the con and consider a national apology and proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery. Under the bill, the 13-member commission would be comprised of persons who are especially qualified to serve on the commission by virtue of their education, training, activism, activism or experience, particularly in the field of African-American studies and repertory justice. According to the legislation, seven members of the commission shall constitute a quorum, but a lesser number may hold hearings. So what has me concerned is why? Why? Why do we need to spend money on this right now? We have coronavirus. That's currently a thing. $12 million could go towards a commission on helping minority-owned businesses get back on their feet. Helping the minority-owned businesses that were burned to the ground due to the back due to Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots that occurred in 2020. So many minority businesses were burned and looted during the course of 2020. Perhaps we should start a commission on how to basically uh, crowdfund to get those businesses up and running again. You have half a million, more than a half a million small businesses permanently shut down. Many of those owned by women and people of color, yet they don't care about that. And it seems like a lot of these individuals who are on this basically uh, 13 member sla slavery reparations commission, um, 
they're probably going to be the activists to help get Joe Biden elected, which seems to be kind of a pay for play. Hey, you help me get elected. I'll make sure you get paid a million dollars and you'll sit on the slavery reparations commission for a couple of years and you'll get paid a million dollars every year while you do this. And guess what? You're not going to figure anything out because a lot of people disagree with reparations because who is, who was considered negatively affected by slavery? Who's going to pay those reparations? Are black people going to pay their taxes? And from their taxes, they're going to pay reparations to themselves. Is that going to be a thing or how, again, how are reparations going to work? Because my family was in the United States. My family never owned slaves. So how am I going to be forced, even though I'm a person of color, but I appear to be as white as can be, am I going to be forced to pay reparations based solely on the color of my skin? Or is it going to be based on my cultural heritage? Is it going to, uh, too many questions to answer, right? And the problem with all of this that's going on is it's just further dividing the country, including what's going on uh, through um, through some of the quotes that were on this. We want to isolate white supremacy. Texas Democratic Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, the sponsor of the House bill, wrote Wednesday on Twitter, white racism, domestic terrorism. We want to look at other at each other as our fellow brothers and sisters and has been said to the ages, our fellow Americans. I want HR 40 to be in the minds and hearts of our fellow Americans. Pass and sign it POTUS. Uh, Jerry Nadler said... This moment of national reckoning comes at a time when our nation must find constructive ways to confront the rising tide of racial and ethnic division. I wonder why there's a rising tide of this. Maybe because that's all Democratic politicians can talk about. All you're doing is creating a wedge between our community. Same thing with the mainstream media. On January 6th, we saw an ugly confluence of such divisions as white nationalists. No, you didn't. You didn't see white nationalist groups appeared to be among those playing a central role. No, you also saw a black man who was bankrolled by CNN and NBC, who basically is being charged for uh, violent acts committed at, at the January 6th insurrection. So you can't say, oh, well, you know, white nationalist groups appeared to be among those. No, CNN appeared to be among those playing a central role in bankrolling domestic terrorism. That is what happened. You have corporations that aren't being held liable for the direct sponsorship of criminal activities that occurred on January 6th. And last summer, we saw an outpouring of protests stemming from the killings of unarmed black people by police. And that, again, is not true. I'm old enough to remember when Jacob Blake, an armed black man, when he was shot by police while reaching for a knife in which he dropped after a scuffle with the police. There was riots in Wisconsin. I'm old enough to remember in Pennsylvania when that Hispanic gentleman ran out of the house with a butcher knife chasing a cop and the cop was forced to shoot him. There was riots because of that. Because, oh, maybe if there's a social worker, they could have talked to him. No, he was chasing after them with a butcher knife. And yet people still protested the police actions. The other night, I believe it was in Seattle. I'm fairly certain it was in Washington State. It was either in Washington or Portland. Those two basically state or Washington or in Oregon. Those two states are out of control, but it was in one of those two states. It was a suicide by cop. They chased after the cop. The guy said, do it, do it, do it, shoot me, just kill me. And then started running after the cop with a knife and the cop had to shoot the gentleman. And there's protests for police violence because of that. No, that was suicide by cop. And how is that the police officer's fault? We should show empathy towards that police officer because guess what? They had to take somebody's life. 
That's not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy burden to carry. There's a reason why so many cops kill themselves. There's a reason why so many veterans kill themselves. Because guess what? Taking someone's life is not easy. And if it is easy easy for you to do, then you are a sociopath or you're probably some sort of psycho. Because guess what? You, it is a burden, right? There is times where it's, it's either me or the other guy. And guess what? I'm going to ensure that I'm the one who survives. However, it's still not easy. It's still a burden to carry. It's still something, basically a monkey on your back, basically just, just reminding you that you have taken a fellow human being's life. But there's a difference between maliciously taking someone's life and, and deriving pleasure from it and basically being forced to do so. And a lot of times with our soldiers in the military and our police officers, they are forced to pull that trigger. And a lot of times it's not done by choice. And what really bothers me is last summer, again, just using this quote, last summer we saw an outpouring of protests stemming from the killings of unarmed black people by police. There was a gentleman killed in Ohio. That was a legitimate, or excuse me, an illegitimate shoot, right? The cop just shot a man holding a cell phone in his garage. There should have been national outrage about that, but there wasn't. There wasn't. If Black Lives Matter truly cared about unarmed black people being gunned down by police, they should have burned down Ohio because of what happened to that gentleman. And I forgot his name and I don't want to say the wrong name, but that would have been something even I like I saw that and I was like, what the hell? I could see, I could, I, it's so easy for that instance. There would have been a unifying message behind that, right? Basically, this guy literally did nothing wrong. This guy was sitting in his garage and he got shot. He had no gun. He had a cell phone. It's bonkers. And guess what's happening to that cop? That cop is facing charges. However, there was no public outcry over a a legitimate case of an unarmed black person being shot by police. It was all these cases of minor. Yes, there were minorities being shot by police, but they were armed. And yet there was so much public outcry over it. No, no, no. Don't don't idolize criminals. No, you need to. If you're going to create a like a vessel for your for your rage, it needs to be something legitimate. It needs to be if you're going to create an icon, basically, this is why we're doing this. It needs to be something legitimate because everybody can get behind what happened in Ohio. Everybody can say that was wrong. But when you have people like George Floyd who were on drugs, right, not saying that he died because he was on drugs, but you had somebody with a violent criminal history who was also on drugs. And then you had Jacob Blake, who was armed and fighting police. And then you had a guy chasing after police with a butcher knife. Those aren't the people that you want to celebrate as a, oh, these were unarmed people killed by police. Well, they weren't unarmed for one. And two, they weren't good people. Now you have a law-abiding citizen doing literally nothing wrong and nobody cares about him. That's what's wrong with the current Black Lives Matter movement, in my opinion. And the other thing, I don't know if I mentioned this because I had to re- uh, re-record it because I p- forgot to hit video um, uh, on the last take I did. Um, 
this definitely seems like it has potential for corruption because it seems to be kicking back to the organizations that helped get many Democrats elected. So we need to keep an eye on that, who they pick and how much they get paid and if they actually do anything, because a lot of government committees like this, they get paid a lot of money. And it seems to be all groups to helped that helped get the president elected or helped get members of Congress elected. They don't do anything and yet still receive millions of dollars. So we'll keep an eye on that, friends. So I'll be dropping another video here in a couple hours. Until then, I'll see you all later. Have a good one. Bye.